Hey, welcome to episode 41 of the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Brannon. This week, we're going to be talking about playbooks. I'm going through chapter five of the book I wrote last year called Grow With Purpose. So we're going to go through the chapter, and then I'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about it. Part two, housekeeping for purpose. Chapter five, create the playbook. If you watch a group of kids playing football on the playground, you'll see one kid drawing in the dirt, telling everyone else where to go. The plays are uncomplicated, and they change from one kid to the next, from one day to the next. This kind of impromptu play calling may work great in elementary school, but NFL players are expected to memorize a playbook that can be inches thick. Professional football teams aren't the only ones that need a playbook. Every business needs one, covering things like hiring practices, customer service, how products get delivered to the customer, the different ways customers pay us, where things are kept in the warehouse, how to schedule time off, and so on. The playbook is one of the things that separates the amateur from the professional. It is what makes the difference between a well-run business and one that is constantly inconsistent. Besides being inconsistent, businesses that don't have a playbook rely on a few people to know everything. These superstars, we call them aggregators, manage to keep operations afloat. But when they leave, all hell breaks loose. Relying on aggregators is managing by personality rather than managing by process. The attitude of aggregators is often that it's easier to fix stuff than it is to train others to do it differently. One of our clients had an incredibly talented bookkeeper who was also a notorious aggregator. Every Friday, the office became a zoo as this aggregator processed payroll. She allowed supervisors and foremen to submit their departmental payrolls on sticky notes, Chick-fil-A napkins, the back of old work orders, or anything else they could find laying around. It was a disaster, but the bookkeeper corralled it all and just made it work. We stepped back and asked, how should this be done? With our help, the bookkeeper designed a form for the new crew leaders to complete, and she assigned each crew leader a five-minute window on Friday mornings where they could submit payroll for their department. Everything was typed up and rolled out during a special meeting with all the supervisors and foremen. Within a few weeks, payroll went from an all-day affair to a routine one-hour weekly task that could be done by any of three or four people in the office. The playbook is the conduit through which you can communicate a great deal of your experience and knowledge. Your team still needs individual attention, training, and mentorship. But if they get it alongside a good playbook, they will develop much faster and your business will see the results much sooner. Building your playbook doesn't have to be hard. The following is a formula that works well for small businesses. Number one, decide what comes first. Number two, decide where to build it. Number three, checklists, your secret weapon. Number four, how-tos and making it all come together. And number five, pink notebooks, refining as you go. What should go in the playbook first? The first thing that needs to go in the playbook is the thing you do 100 times per day. If you are a pest control company, it is how to do a pest control stop. If you are a roofing company, it is how to put on a roof. If you are a dentist office, it is how to clean teeth. Every business must do a lot of things and do them well, but there is always one thing that the business does most often. 
You should start with that and move on from there. In a roofing company, we might start with putting on a tile roof. Later, we can address shingle roofing, sales proposals, diagnosing leaks, ordering materials, handling customer complaints, payroll, and so on. The earliest things you tackle with your playbook should be the things that are most relevant to daily business operations. Next come the things you do routinely, but less often. You put these processes in the playbook because they save you time, eliminate mistakes, and increase quality. A good example is hiring new employees. By documenting the recruiting and hiring process, a business can eliminate a lot of the haste and inconsistency that results in bad hires. Several other areas you should consider for your playbook include your monthly process for closing the books, the monthly cleaning checklist for the warehouse, the quarterly maintenance schedule for fleet vehicles, your monthly check-in with your highest value customers, and semi-annual facilities inspections and cleanings. Eventually, your playbook will cover things you do less frequently. These are things you can forget how to do because you don't do them very often and include things like preparing to file your tax returns, renewing insurance contracts, setting annual bonus amounts, getting ready for the company Christmas party, renewing licenses and permits, and renegotiating merchant accounts with your credit card processor. Documenting these tasks saves you enormous time because you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel after forgetting how you did it last time. Every business has hundreds of processes it must contend with, Our goal is not to put everything on hold while we push paper and create checklists. Our goal is to bring consistency and effectiveness to as many parts of the business as we can, starting with those parts that will have the biggest overall impact. Start with the thing that is most important, and once you have been able to celebrate some progress, move on to improve another area of the business by adding it to the playbook. As the playbook grows and becomes more comprehensive, You and your team will experience a growing sense of competency and confidence when it comes to your core operating procedures. Deciding where to build the playbook. Now that you have an idea of what goes in the playbook, let's talk about the nuts and bolts and how to put one together. The most important thing about your playbook is that everyone knows where it is located. Early on, you need to decide whether the playbook will be physical or virtual. The decision is yours to make, but I will outline a few things that you should think about. Physical playbooks are usually easier to start but more difficult to maintain. If you have a very small office where everyone has access to a workroom or a file room, a physical playbook can be the way to go. Something as simple as a three-ring binder that contains all of the latest processes and checklists will be all you need. Low-tech options like this are pretty easy to understand, access, and update. The downsides of using a physical playbook include the fact that only one person can use it at a time, and if you have employees in the field, they won't be able to get to the playbook. Of course, you could create a playbook for each employee, but this leads to a second disadvantage of physical playbooks. They are difficult to scale across larger workforces. If you have 20 people in your company, it may seem easy enough to give everyone their own physical playbook. But early on, you are going to have a lot of updates to your playbook. Rolling these updates out across 20 different field copies can become a nightmare. 
a crucial change to one of your most important forms or processes may never make its way into every playbook. The goal is to have everyone performing a given task in the same way, and that is not always possible if you have to distribute updates and make sure they get added to multiple copies of the playbook floating around in field trucks. There is one more reason I hesitate to recommend a physical playbook to most businesses. Physical playbooks lend themselves best to plain text. That doesn't mean they can't incorporate rich media, but color pictures and diagrams are about as far as you can take a physical playbook. Eventually, most businesses will want to incorporate things like training videos and online resources into their playbook. Physical playbooks just can't do this. The other option is a virtual playbook that users can access through desktops, laptops, tablets, or phones. Software programs and online services exist specifically for this purpose, but my preference is for more generic solutions. For the most part, our clients use a shared folder structure on their server or cloud storage service like Dropbox, Box.net, or Google Drive. Everyone on the team can be given access to a hierarchy of folders that contain the most recent updates. Content can consist of text documents, spreadsheets, presentations, videos, websites, online forms, PDF documents, audio files, and so on. A well-organized folder structure eliminates the need for a separate table of contents. However, we do recommend that you create a document that will serve as your master index of processes. The master index should include the name of the process, the version number, the date that version was created, and the person or department that is primarily responsible for maintaining the process. It's very helpful to be able to scan down this list of processes and differentiate those that are relatively new from those that have not been updated in years. Older documents may not need to be updated, but it is helpful to be able to review the list at least once a year and ask, is there anything here that is terribly out of date? Every playbook needs a good custodian who makes sure that the index is kept up to date. This is usually an office manager, but whoever serves as the custodian must be organized and willing to champion the playbook as a way to improve the business. The custodian will work with department heads to make sure that versions are documented and that any new updates are included in the playbook. Sometimes business owners hesitate to develop a comprehensive playbook out of fear that some rogue employee might steal all their secrets and hand it to the competition. That might be a possibility, but it would mean that you did an exceptionally poor job of hiring and judging the character of your team members, and that is something that is entirely under your control. Regardless of whether the occasional bad apple sneaks through your hiring process, the fact is that operating without a playbook does more harm to your business every day than you would ever experience from one or two leaks to your competition. And remember, the playbook only says what to do. It's up to you and your team to do it in a way that creates happy and loyal customers. Checklists, your secret weapon. When it comes to documenting processes and building your playbook, there are a few things more effective than a checklist. If your playbook consisted only of the essential checklists needed to run your business, it would be an invaluable tool for everyone on your team. Checklists are easy to understand and provide a step-by-step -step process with instructions for team members to double-check their work. This helps them perform tasks consistently and accurately. 
When it comes to creating checklists, I like to divide them into four parts. The title. The title should be descriptive but succinct, using as few words as necessary. I also like to include the word checklist in the title. A good checklist title might be Checklist for Making Customer Service Appointments. Anyone who happens across this part of the playbook will know exactly what it relates to and how it is supposed to be used. The synopsis. The synopsis is important because it communicates how you want the checklist to be used. The synopsis should be no more than two or three sentences. For our previous example of customer service appointments, the synopsis for the checklist might read as follows. This checklist is meant to help you communicate with the customer and assure them that we understand their needs and will respond on a specific date and time to meet that need. It is important that you remain upbeat during the call and maintain an air of confidence and competency at all times. The overview. In the overview, we are looking for just five to ten major bullet points. Again, going back to our previous example, the overview might look something like this. Answer the phone with confidence. Gather the customer's information. Locate the record in the database. Enter the service appointment information. Confirm with the customer. Send information to the service technician. Confirm that the information went to the service technician. Enter notes that will help the salesman on the next call. The list. The final part of the checklist is the list itself. It should list in detail the steps required to complete the task. Let's go back to our example one more time and look at a checklist similar to one created by a client. We aren't going to create the whole checklist, but let's look at just the first step in the overview. Answer the phone with confidence. Our first two checklist items under this particular overview step might address this step as always answer the phone with your headset in place so that you do not have to put the customer on hold and so that the customer has a consistent call quality experience. And then answer the call using the appropriate greeting as outlined in the call script section of the playbook. We want to provide enough detail to remove ambiguity, but not so much that we are trying to turn our employees into robots. The more detailed your checklist, the more easily it becomes outdated. Try to strike a balance between providing useful detail and not getting stuck too deep in the weeds. How-tos, making it all come together. Checklists are useful because they are brief and because they describe things in bullet points that can be read quickly. Some items in a checklist may only consist of one or two words. For example, confirm address. But there are times when you need more information. So much work today is done on computers, tablets, or mobile phones. For documenting this type of work, pictures, screenshots, slide presentations, and screencasts do a much better job than words alone. We differentiate these items from checklists by calling them how-tos. So when we have a how-to for booking a service call, it will include detailed pictures of the relevant computer windows along with descriptions for each field, rules for what constitutes valid information in each field, what different buttons on the screen do, and so on. How-to documents are longer and more tedious than checklists. Their purpose is for initial training and future reference, whereas checklists will be used every day. How-to processes will only be referenced when someone has a question or isn't quite sure how to handle an edge case.
Usually, the best way to assemble a how-to is to just go through the process and record the steps as you go. How-to documents take a lot longer to create than checklists and require a good bit of patience. The first draft will inevitably contain gaps and mistakes. Video is another powerful how-to medium, whether the process happens behind a computer screen or out in the real world. In the time it takes to do a service call, a helper with an iPhone can record the technician demonstrating exactly how to do the call and the exact level of detail that will be required in the field. If you use video, don't worry about fancy graphics or visual effects. Keep the video short, two to five minutes is best. Make sure you have good audio and don't worry about much else. Get two takes. The second take is always more succinct and on point. Screencasts are the video equivalent when processes involve work on the computer. Software programs like ScreenFlow or Camtasia record everything happening on the screen and provide the ability for video and audio accompaniment. Pink notepads, refining as you go. Every business owner and manager I work with is interested in ways to limit and even eliminate interruptions. Over the years, we have come up with a powerful method for tweaking the playbook and cutting down on interruptions at the same time. Your most experienced employees and managers are bombarded by questions that will only take two minutes. It is easy for their day to become consumed by two-minute questions, and the most frustrating part is that most of these questions are repeats of two-minute questions they've already answered. We give these managers pink legal pads to leave on top of their desks. Each time someone comes in with a two-minute question, the manager asks them to wait while they write down the question on the pink notepad. The manager then answers the question and, as briefly as possible, writes down the answer on the notepad as well. Once a week, the manager meets with the team and brings along a typed list of the frequently asked questions, or FAQs, from the notepad. During the meeting, each question and answer is covered briefly. After the meeting, the custodian adds these FAQs to the relevant sections of the playbook. Over time, the FAQ sections of the playbook become some of the most valuable for new hires and long-term employees alike. Why does this work so well? First, it puts the employee asking the question on notice that their question is being written down and will be the topic of group discussion later in the week. This has the effect of making employees think twice before they barge into the manager's office with a silly question they know they could find with just a little bit of effort. Second, it allows you to build the playbook very efficiently. You could spend a lot of time trying to anticipate the most important questions your team needs answered, or you could just let them ask, write down the answers, and put them in the playbook. Over time, your playbook will create a competitive advantage for your company. It will allow you to train new employees to be productive more quickly, resulting in lower hiring and training costs. It will create more consistent experiences for your customers, resulting in higher retention and more referrals. It will reduce errors and rework and all the costs that go along with them, improving your bottom line. The important thing is to start today and start small with the thing you do a hundred times per day. Come up with the checklist first, then develop a how-to that shows employees the standard you expect. 
back it all up with FAQs from actual experience. Very quickly, you will see marked improvement that goes directly to your bottom line. This topic of playbooks just gets to the heart of uh, systems and processes in small business. And it's the probably the biggest area that small business owners struggle with because there aren't a whole lot of hands to go around to develop these processes. The other thing is that we often take for granted that there needs to be a process because we've got high retention. We've had, you know, somebody's been doing this particular thing in the warehouse or with customers or whatever it is, and they've been there for 15 or 16 or 17 years. And the thought just never occurs that, you know, we need that person to document a process until something happens. And the things that can happen, you know, they're usually not catastrophic. Sometimes that employee retires and it leaves, you know, like a huge hole and people don't. But usually if there's a retirement coming, you know, we have somebody shadowing that person for weeks or months and and that person learns all of the nuances. Um, So, you know, occasionally there's the hit by the bus scenario where somebody gets called out unexpectedly. But then again, what tends to happen in my experience in a lot of small businesses is that we take somebody who's also been around a long time and we just throw them in and say, just figure it out. And there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of understanding because we know they're new and we know that they're struggling. But um, but we just basically throw another person in there and say, figure it out, rather than uh, point people to a systematized process and supporting checklists and how-to documents and those things, they're going to help them do it. The area, so so just to kind of go back up a step, in small businesses, it's usually not the retirement of a long-time employee or some catastrophic event that creates the need for processes. It's almost always growth because when we're growing, we're adding new employees and we're not adding employees to replace existing employees. We're adding employees to do things alongside other employees. So a good example is you say customer service. So We have uh, one person in the office who's been doing scheduling and appointment setting and dispatching, and they've also been handling billing and customer service. And now we go, well, we're ready for another person, and this person we want to just focus on customer service. We've got the veteran, and they're going to be doing customer service as well, but it's kind of grown beyond just one person, so we need to hire like a junior customer service rep. So we bring that person in. And they get they they train up with the veteran for a little while, and then we turn them loose. And what we find after six or seven or eight months is that the there's a lot of inconsistency or or differences. I guess would be a, a different way to put. It. There's a lot of difference between the customer service experience with the veteran and the customer service experience with this other the, this newer person. And it's because, you know, they're two different people. They have two different bodies of experience. But the biggest reason is because there's not a standard that we go back to. The standard initially may have been, you know, do it like the veteran does it because, you know, they obviously know what they're doing. But even the the new employee notices, well, the, sometimes the veteran does it this way and sometimes they do it that way. And it's very hard to pick up the nuance and and what is the standard that should we should not deviate from, and understanding that some some uh, customers you know are, are really big customers we may treat them a little different than the brand new customers that we're trying to get to know, but there's no standard you just kind of have to watch the veteran and 
maybe over weeks and months and years, you start to understand what that standard is. But in the early days, it creates this widely varied experience. And and then as the teams continue to grow, if you don't stop, call a timeout, and recognize the need for this process, it just gets worse and worse and worse. One of the kind of prototypical examples that we see quite a bit is the, the, the part of an organization that grows in a small business that say it's growing from 5 million to 10 million and they have the field operations folks uh, who are out there and you know we had to scale those up so we went from like one person in the field to two trucks in the field now there's 10 trucks in the field or 20 trucks in the field and then the next area um, that gets and those tend to be like technical jobs so it's you know uh, if they're electricians you know you may not develop standard operating procedures for how to change a light bulb um, you might have standard procedures, safety procedures, and things like that. But in large part, you're, you're asking these technically qualified people to go out and solve the problems they're, they're hired. But when it comes to, say, bidding new work, you might have a, one salesperson, you know, the owner hires somebody, and then as the business grows, they hire somebody else, and they hire somebody else, and they hire somebody else. And let's say we've got four or five salespeople out in the field, and one of the things that we find, if, the, if there's no playbook that exists, there's not a sales playbook, there's not an operations playbook, there's not just a general business playbook or anything like that, is that if we have five salespeople in the field, we have five different versions of the same contract floating around out there. One of them is the one that got updated last week. One of them's an update from last year. One has been updated you know, so many times, nobody know, knows what version it is. And the other, the other thing is not just the contracts, it's the actual sales proposal process itself is being done four or five different ways. And when, when you have growth in a, that kind of business, that's just that's what you're asking for without a playbook. So when, with our clients, when we're starting to say housekeeping, the, the title of this second part is housekeeping for a purpose. And in this chapter and the next few chapters, we're going to be covering like very brass tacks stuff. Like we started off with values and vision and why and mission. Uh, and then we went into like the mindset of customers come second and leadership and all that stuff. Now we're getting into like, do you have a standard operating procedure for the thing that you do 100 times a day or not? So we're going to get into that, uh, other topics like this over the next few weeks. And as we as we said, like the small business owner doesn't have the luxury of being able to put everything on hold and go off and build an operations manual. So in practice, what this looks like, if we're helping a small business owner do this, uh, we're working with them and their leadership team, and we we keep track of issues in the business. We call it the issues parking lot. And so these are things that are going to stand in the way of us achieving our vision. And they, a lot of times they include like the absence of processes for this or that thing in the business. And let's say it's the thing that we do 100 times a day. And so we'll get everybody in the room, the, the kind of the, the leadership team, which is usually like a salesperson, uh, the operations person, the customer service person, maybe the finance person, the business owner. So there might be four, five, six people in this room. We'll say, okay, let's, let's go through this process. And I don't want you to tell me what's happening now as much as I want you to tell me what do you want to happen? What should be happening when we we do this thing that we do? So if it's a 
you know, if it's a pest control stop, we've got a client that's a pest control company, so it's easy for me to to use as an example. We say, okay, we've got a pest control stop. Um, what what do we want to happen first? And it's everything from like where the truck parks in relation to the house. Do we want it to park in the driveway or not in the driveway? Well, let's you know sometimes there'll be some discussion about that. Well, if we park in the driveway and the homeowner has to leave midway through the service, we might be blocking them. We got to stop what we're doing or you know whatever. Uh, let's park in the street. Well, uh, which which way should the truck be facing when we park? If it's, if we're parking on the side on the street and we're staying on the right side of the street, does the right side of the vehicle have the tools that we access most often, or is it on the left side where the person's going to be standing in the street and having to walk around the truck every time they need to get something uh, from their toolbox? So it's very basic stuff like that. And then what what happens after you park? Do you do you pull up the work order on your phone or your tablet? Uh, do you have a paper copy of it? What does that look like? Do you go check in with the homeowner before you start doing the service just to make sure that they know you're there? Do you check with the neighbors and let them know that you're going to be applying chemicals to the yard? All of these questions, um, businesses that we work with, very rarely have they been able to have the breathing room to ask these kinds of very intentional questions about what do they want to happen. And so we, we try not to get into... Um, super scripted detail, but we do want to cover the bullet points, you know, in kind of a checklist format to say this is what's going on. And when, one of the ways we think about it is if you were to pull up behind this person and just observe what they're doing, could you, you know, what, do, what would we want to have on the checklist that you could just check off and say, yes, they parked in the right place. Yes, they went to the front door. Yes, they put on the correct safety equipment. Yes, they started, you know, at the northeast corner of the house and worked their way around in a counterclockwise fashion. Whatever your process says, um, could you document that in the checklist? And the checklists are honestly like some of the easiest to do. They're, they're I'll say they're simple, not easy. That simple would be a better word uh, because they're, it's not super complicated to understand what we're talking about. But we do find that businesses take for granted a lot of the steps and just think, well, that's just everybody just knows that's the way it's supposed to be done. And it's nice for us because we're not pest control technicians. We can't take any of that stuff for granted. So we ask a lot of stupid questions that wind up generating a lot of discussion about how do you, how do you want this thing to happen, not necessarily what's happening now or even like what's feasible. Like don't tell me what you think is possible just tell me what you want to happen, and then let's go talk to your people and let's see if they think it's possible. Business owners oftentimes talk themselves out of really good changes because they don't think the people are going to be willing to make those. But we find that when we go explain to them what we're trying to accomplish and why we're trying to accomplish it, they'll come up with some incredibly effective ways to change what's happening in the, in the basic business operation, and they're enthusiastic about it because they feel like they've got a voice and they're making a difference in the business. The how-to documents, I'll be honest with you, are difficult. Um, so there's a couple of things you know that I've I've have some different processes that I have to do once a month, and you know I'm looking at these things and I'm like, you know, this is not something that I absolutely have to do. I could delegate this, but before I delegate it, I'm going to have to generate a how-to document and a checklist. And generating the how-to document. If the task normally takes me 30 minutes, generating the how-to could 
honestly take me like an hour and a half. It could take me three times longer to do it with while stopping and pausing to do the how-to and taking screenshots and making notes and making sure that every little process is documented, nothing's going to be left out. And sometimes that's a hard sell to say, you know, I've got 30 minutes to do this thing. I'm going to take 90 minutes and create a how-to document, a checklist so that I can delegate it. But every time I've done that, you know, I almost get giddy every month after that when I know that thing is happening and I'm not having to touch it. I'm not having to do anything with it because I just saved myself 30 minutes. So after two months, you know, I spend 90 minutes. The next month, I save 30 minutes. The month after that, I save 30 minutes. Well, now I'm back to square one, and every month after that just pays dividends. So the how-to documents, um, they are not... They're not easy to put together, but here's the other thing. Uh, most laptops, desktops, you know, the, the, the computing environment now, uh, there are fairly easy ways. There are services like Jing. There are services like CloudApp. There are services like Loom where you can click a button and just record everything you're doing on the screen. So you can go through that, and you can save that recording, and then you can hand it off to somebody who's better than you are at documenting stuff and say, can you just document this process? Go through the video, do exactly what I did in the video, um, stop along the way, take screenshots, make annotations. It, the screen will also record your voice so you can explain what you're, doing it as you, what you're doing as you're doing it, and then you can hand it off to somebody else to actually do the documentation. Um, and then the last area I'll say is the training. And this is where the pink notebook idea came from is like we're trying to get people to change their behavior. We're trying to get them to go back to the tools we've created. If I spent 90 minutes creating this painstaking how-to document and a checklist to go with it and nobody's using it, it's frustrating. And so sometimes it's frustrating. You know, some, Sometimes they're not using it because it's deficient, because it doesn't tell them exactly how to do what they're supposed to, to be doing. And we need to go back and create a more detailed how-to or fill in a checklist with some missing items. But other times, um, they're just not, they're not going back to it because it's easier to come ask you. And then some other times, there are edge cases. There are things that we didn't consider when we were putting the how-to. It's, you know, it's perfect the way it is for the scenario we were outlining, but there are these other scenarios that happen maybe 10% of the time, and it needs to be modified to take those into account. And so that's where the pink notebooks really help you drive both the, the behavior change because when somebody walks into your office or your work area and says, hey, I got two, two minutes, uh, can you tell me you know, I'm stuck on this? And they see you pull out that point, that pink notebook. The first thing that they think is, I should know how to do this, <laughs> right? And maybe they shouldn't, but I've talked to employees and said, you know, what what goes going through your head when you see that pink notebook? And they're like, the first thing I think is, oh crap, I should have I should have read the manual or I should have gone and found the the checklist because I if they're writing it down, it means I probably should have known it. That may not be the message we want to send every time, but it is instructive that it causes employees to pause and think twice before they walk into your office to ask a question. They may start going to the how-to. They may start uh, trying to find the answer themselves. But beyond the behavior change aspect, it really does help sharpen the tool sets that you're starting to build because these frequently asked questions uh, can be very succinct, very brief, um, so if we have, let's say, a, a pest control stop, 
and somebody comes up and says, well, what do we do in a situation where, um, you know, I don't know, there's a dog in the backyard that's being aggressive? You know, what, what are we supposed to do in those cases? And so the, the pink notebook comes out and they say, hang on just a second. And the manager writes what to do with aggressive dog. And then they talk about it and they say, well, if the homeowner's home, you should go to the front door and ask the homeowner if they can bring the dog inside. If the homeowner's not home, um, our policy is if the dog's acting aggressively, we leave a note with the homeowner and tell them we weren't able to do the service in that part of the area. If they have issues, they're going to need to reschedule and we'll have to come back out, you know, something like that. And then they just write that, you know, as briefly as possible on the pink notebook. And then the following week at the, the weekly operations meeting, and every one of our clients should have a weekly operations meeting where departments are getting together once a week to kind of cover things like this. They can say, here's all the, the things that came up this week. And here's one about dogs and what to do with aggressive dogs. And they cover it. It's typed up. So they've taken a little bit of time to go through their pink sheet and type up the answer. And then they hand that answer to the custodian or they email it a lot of times to the custodian. And the custodian adds it to the frequently asked questions section of how to do a pest control stop. So the next time somebody thinks they have a question that's not covered, they can go to the FAQ section and see, oh, actually, you know, I was wondering what to do about dogs and they've already covered this. And sometimes it's also nice to put the date that that question was first asked, just so people know, oh, well, this was asked like two years ago and we, nobody's been talking about it. Maybe we need to do some training on how to handle dogs. If I'm asking this question and it was asked and answered two years ago, it's got to come up more often. Maybe other people don't know this. Maybe we should do some training. So I would encourage you, again, to start with the stuff that you do 100 times a day. What is the core thing that you do? And is it... It, do customers experience a consistent, repeatable quality experience when you're doing that thing? And if they're not, it's either because you've hired the wrong people or you haven't trained people the right. And most often, it's not that you've hired the wrong people. Most often, is that you haven't trained them to deliver the kind of experience that you want. And the training comes down to that documentation. Don't leave it up to the salty veteran to impart all of their knowledge and create, you know, a, a junior salty veteran in the making. Go, go to the documentation. Think through how do we want this to work. But as I, I'll tell you, like if you get into, if you start listening to the salty veterans calls, there's probably some stuff you're not going to like about this. There's probably some stuff you're like, this is not the standard operating procedure I want to build, and we've got to go back to the drawing board a little bit and refine it and make it the make it the one that you want your business to live out every day. So I hope that was helpful. Uh, we will be back here next week, and we're going to be talking about customers are real people and this whole idea of like how do you relate to customers and from a marketing and sales perspective. Uh, it's one that um, we get a lot of play with in our business. Uh, we talk a lot about sales and marketing with clients because it is the top end of the funnel, and there's a very pragmatic way to deal with that, and that's what we talk about in the book. So I'll see you here next week. <music>